Candlelighting at 644, final Friday, final Shabbos of the year. Ashkenazi community begins Salichas tomorrow night or Sunday morning, depending on how you look at it. Rosh Hashanah, of course, is Wednesday night. We'll ask Malcolm Holmline for his Rosh Hashanah message for 5778 coming up. Want to wish a Mazal Tov to Rabbi Dr. Ari Berman. The investiture took place at Yeshiva University this past Sunday. He's now officially, officially, double officially, uh, the uh, president of Yeshiva University. We wish him the best of luck in that unique and historic capacity. And we hope uh, Bezrat Hashem to speak with him at some point in the next few weeks here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Appreciate that. Last week uh, we didn't have this conversation because we were covering the... uh, uh, activities in Houston, then of course uh, everything that happened in Florida this week. I mean, you know, I, I think most of the news is known in terms of uh, the extent of the damage. Anything that you heard from the Florida Jewish community of note regarding uh, the storms this week? Oh, thank God, the, um, the bulk of the Jewish community, which is largely in the Miami area, were somewhat spared the um, the brunt of this. Although Jewish communities in other areas. Uh, were hit, and there's, of course, very widespread damage. And it reminds us of uh, the power of nature and that we should never take things for granted, that the um, that the dangers uh, abide, whether they are from external enemies, internal threat divisions, or natural disasters. And as we pointed out last week, and you've said it so many times, it, it does have a way, and this time it really did, but between Houston and Florida, of bringing out the best, uh, the American, one of the takeaways people ask about the trip to Houston and the, one of the takeaways I had, and I said this to you earlier in the week is I saw the American Jewish community really respond in glorious fashion, which was a very heartwarming thing to see. And really, as you would say, it was really the international Jewish community. What do we know about today in London? Any details outside of what seems to be an obvious terrorist attack? It's a terrorist attack that seems to be a flash bomb and, the people who were hurt were were hurt by burns from the flash. Nobody, it seems, thank God, was killed. And um, but it, it is, uh, you know, it's a reminder again that they are that the danger is everywhere. And those who think this is Israel's threat and they can dismiss it or play down the threat of of terrorism globally are reminded constantly. And you know, there are. Um, uh, reports and that it came out in the press that the, the success of Israel in preventing the Israeli security forces, I should say, preventing hundreds of terrorist attacks of all kinds, from kidnappings and bombings and uh, etc., just this year, and uh, I think seventy in July and August, that the you know the the, the importance of vigilance of the commitment that Israel makes the steps that Israel sometimes takes that some people, including in our own community, are so ready to criticize and so ready to to jump on and to demand, you know, uh, uh, that Israel not take the, these actions that it deems necessary. And yet we're reminded when we see the responses and the, the, the actions that have, are taken there and everywhere else, reminded again and again of the importance of the extra vigilance and a reminder to our communities here that we have to do more. Wouldn't it be beneficial for Israel to release a list 
on a regular basis of which uh, episodes were prevented? Wouldn't it lead to less skepticism and comments from people around the world if, if we actually saw and, and really understood the type of attacks that were being quelled on a regular basis? I think that the um, uh, Israel does publish the list. They do these reports uh, on a monthly basis, at least. And the uh, as for the very reasons that you said, that people have to be aware and see what is happening and what, thank God, is successfully prevented. Every once in a while, there are there is an incident that actually gets comes to fruition because it's impossible to stop to hermetically seal the country. But the the they do report and they do publish these reports on a regular basis. You got to let me know where to find those because uh, I, I think it would be really beneficial to people. Uh, to see the details about the, some of those potential attacks that, thank God, uh, were taken care of by Israeli authorities. Mm-hmm. Now, it's UN week. BB speaks Monday? Is that the schedule? No, he, he, he's, the UN session doesn't begin uh, till Tuesday, and he is speaking on the first day, actually out of order, because it's usually only heads of state that speak the first day. Um, and he is speaking shortly after the president and others uh, because he has to fly back for Rosh Hashanah. So they made an exception in this case to allow him to speak earlier than he normally would. So both President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu are scheduled to speak Tuesday at the U.N.? That's right. Okay. By noon. So my listeners uh, out there, who uh, we because we, we usually follow the speech along literally uh, on the network as it goes on, I, I said that would be Monday. Obviously, it's going to be Tuesday now. Now... You know that for a long, what seemed to be a long time, for many years it seemed to me, the theme of the speech was was making sure that Iran would not be uh, armed with nuclear weapons. That that was the theme for a long time. Then last year, as you'll recall, I I proudly I proudly um, appraised him uh, instead of doing the whole Iran thing, and I'm not minimizing how important that is. He essentially, if you remember the theme, he essentially said to the world, to the nations of the world, hop on the Israel bandwagon because the train's going to leave the station without you. And, I, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think you remember the theme of the speech that essentially you know, Israel is one of the leaders of the future of this world. And now you have a choice. Are you with us or not with us? And you're going to pay the price if you're not with us. And I thought it was a brilliant approach. Do you have any clue what he will do this Tuesday at the U.N.? Well, I do think it's pretty safe for him that, to assume that he's going to talk about Iran because the JCPOA, the, the Iran deal, is due to come up very shortly for certification or not by October 15th. And there is debate going on within the administration about how to approach it. We've seen statements that from the Secretary of State, supposedly, and others that they're not in compliance. But on the other hand, um, that the uh, there is a reluctance to to because it's really uncharted territory. What happens if you if it, America doesn't certify? It doesn't mean they reject the thing; they just don't certify as being in compliance. This would pave the way for additional sanctions, which are being considered uh, in in any event. Um, but the uh, I think it's likely that his his um, his subject matter will be Iran. You know, Iran. Uh, refused the IEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, right after it found them supposedly to be in compliance with the deal, to reject their their request to visit the military sites. They're they're allowed to see the civilian sites, and 
the contention, of course, is that no no sites were off limits. They're supposed to be able to visit anywhere. The Iranians are saying, well, we never said you could see military sites. So we don't know, again, what we don't know of what's going on there. And especially because of Iran's encroachments in Syria on Israel's northern border and the clear designs they have to get as close to the border and to be able to pose a threat to Israel from uh, Lebanon and from Hamas side, and we see growing uh, involvement of Hamas with Hezbollah, and Iran wants to be able to pose the challenge from the Golan side, and uh, Israel acted if you with the bombing of in, in Syria right. as a message that you cross the red lines, whether it's the production or importation of sophisticated weapons, missiles, and others, the chemical weapons that. Uh, these are red lines we cannot tolerate, including having uh, Iranian forces or their militia uh, along Israel's um, uh, border. And this is, uh, you know, this, this poses an existential threat that I think the prime minister will will definitely address. And by the way, that's uh, that's one of the reasons that Iran makes it very publicly known how much money they're giving to Hezbollah, right? Close close to a billion dollars in their most recent payment, just to to let the world to remind the world that they're supporting their efforts. Well, the reminders are there in the fact that you have the Hezbollah fighting in in Syria and uh, advancing the cause of Iran. Iran's goal is to to uh, be the dominant force after an agreement, and right now they seem to be in cahoots with with Russia, uh, not because they have a, an alignment of, of total alignment of interests, but because they have common uh, goals right now. Russia is making a big mistake in this because they will pay the price, too, if, if Iran ends up with a permanent presence and a permanent uh, power position in Syria. And, and Turkey has joined this uh, triangle now where they are, because of common interests, they're coordinating, it seems, their uh, approaches to, to um, the, the fighting in, in, in Yemen, in, uh, in Syria. And the um, uh, the Iranian role it, to build and goal of building the transnational highway from Tehran through Iraq to Syria to, to Lebanon is advancing. The destruction of ISIS in many areas has opened up these areas to Iranian troops coming in, and the United States is trying to rush into these areas, especially along the Iraqi border, to prevent. Uh, both Iran from getting in and to, to expanding further their uh, spheres of influence and control. So these are really critical issues that I think the prime minister will have to, to, to address. By the way, Turkey, I mean, I guess it's obvious at this point that their relationship with Israel, which was key to for them and, and was a great concern of theirs for quite a while, is not nearly as great a concern as some of their other relationships now. The, um, Mr. Erdogan, with whom we'll be meeting next week, is uh, very mercurial in this regard, and uh, he he has much broader aspirations to rebuild the the Ottoman Empire, to rebuild the period, the glorious periods of the past, just as the Iranians are rebuilding the Persian Empire. Plus, and uh, while there hasn't been as much public criticism, it does continue on the part of uh, of Turkey against Israel. And um, so, and, but his interests are 
in fighting the PKK and fighting the, the Kurdish aspirations. As you know, there's going to be a test coming up very soon in about a week about the uh, this referendum in Iraq for Kurdish independence. It's uh, fraught with all sorts of implications and dangers. And while generally Israel supports and we support territorial integrity for the Kurds, um, it's it's not without uh, concern about what the the implications would be. But it always seemed that the means to that end, at least for a couple of years, it seemed uh, the means to that end was a good relationship with Israel. It's simply not the case anymore, in his opinion. Right? It's obvious just the in the way he's behaving that is right. not, not nearly as great a concern. And when it comes to BB, I mean, look again. I understand and believe you me. The list you just gave us critical list of things to you know to announce to the nations of the world especially in, in following the president of the united states but w- weren't you a big fan of the 2016 theme didn't he, he didn't he approach that speech from a position of strength telling the world what israel is and what they could expect from it well i think he can report in fact the, about the implementation of that theme i.e the the visit that he just made to to uh, argentina colombia Mexico. Yeah, why was he received so well there? And that is actually exactly what you're talking about in terms of breaking the isolation of the first time a sitting prime minister of Israel visited the, the uh, South America. Uh, but uh, there's also, it's the result of some of the elections there that took place, the election of Mr. Macri to replace the Kirshners in Argentina, in Brazil, elsewhere. You see positive changes. And this is a, this was a very important statement. It had a lot of economic implications, other implications in terms of um, the benefits, but it sends most of all the message that those who predicted Israel's isolation better take another look. Yeah. Hop on the Israel bandwagon or the train will leave the station without you. <laughs> it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSingle.com on the NahumSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Final weekly update of the year. Malcolm Holmline is with us. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. If actions speak louder than words, what does Moscow's refusal to um, create this buffer zone for Israel on the border of Syria tell us? Well, uh, we don't know yet what the actual understandings are. Uh, the fact is that, that Russia uh, urged Syria not to respond to Israel's attack. Uh, you know, they did fire rockets probably from planes over Lebanon, but they hit the Syrian targets and there was no uh, retaliation. Uh, so that, uh, and, and there does seem to be some understanding that gives Israel the leeway to, to act in uh in in response to the threats that it perceives and on the other hand we know that that russia is now as i pointed out in boots with some of these other parties pursuing their own interests i mean it's not necessarily an anti-israel agenda right but and and he certainly does not want to see israel destroyed by most assessments but you know he's not going to worry about if there is some minor flourish everybody i think right now wants to avoid a war an all-out war but when you have 150,000 missiles sitting on your border and you can have some rogue crazy do something that will um, could ignite this conflict, and it can be ignited by, by things unrelated to Israel as well between all of the conflicts between the parties in the region. So the, 
the, the, it's not in, in their interest to see the Hezbollah get too close because Israel will have to, or, or um, the Iranian or the Iran Revolutionary Guard or any of the tens of thousands of their affiliated uh, Shiite militias to get too close to the uh, border with Israel because that they know that that could be a flashpoint and that would, uh, you know, counter all of their the accomplishments and their interests, the huge Iranian investment in in Hezbollah and in, in, in Lebanon would be history in a very short time. And if you noticed, Israel has just finished an 11-day exercise in Israel's north that involved, it, involved air, land, and sea resources for everything, cybersecurity, drones, uh, whatever you can, or every resource that Israel had was, was thrown into this because it was a message to the to the Hezbollah, to the Iranians, that this time the response is not going to be targeted and it's not going to be limited. It's going to be to defeat Hezbollah, uh, which this time is part of the government. Last time it was not, so they didn't. They felt more constrained. Uh, but this is meant to be a very strong message. We are we are not going to hold back. We're going to do whatever is necessary to protect our citizens and to. Um, uh, Take it to the enemy. The, the exercise, which was considered uh, success, uh, showed uh, actual operational things that were done. Israel is not going to allow a penetration of its border, which is what Hezbollah wants to do. They want to be able to place a flag on the Israeli side to take some prisoners to do other things. And Israel will not and sent the message now that not only is that not going to happen, but we're going to take the battle to you. We're not going to fight on ours, and when we read Kitetse, just uh, now, when we say Kitetse la Mechama, when you go out to war, it says to go out to war, meaning don't fight in your borders, because once you're fighting in your own borders, you're losing. You have to always take the battle to the enemy and fight on their turf. Mm, very good. A um, couple of last things on the, on the UN thing. First of all, will there be a Trump-Netanyahu meeting this trip? Yes, most likely. And that'll be in New York? Uh, or Bedminster, right? Uh, and uh, secondly, the uh, the, the um, Danny Danone now assuming the position of vice president of the General Assembly. So is, is that historic? Has an Israeli representative held that position before? Like, how big a deal is this? Well, there are twenty-one vice chairmen of the UN, but it's twenty-one out of uh, all of the members. Right. Uh, so it is a recognition, but it's not the first time. All right, that's. Uh... You want it to know level of, um, you know, how rare that was. Uh, the draft law, many are familiar now with the, with the news story of the week about the uh, Supreme Court decision in Israel. We're always concerned about many aspects of this, but certainly probably more than any other, uh, will this cause more divisiveness uh, on the Israeli scene? We know how sensitive the draft and the army issue is to begin with. Um, what do you think is going to happen as this, uh, as this uh, whole procedure continues? Hopefully it will be done in a smart way, a sensitive way um, that accommodates all of the needs of uh, of Israel as, uh, the, and its the security needs. You've seen more and more people from the Haredi community joining the army in these various special units or in the regular units. And I think that the, um, you know, the reaction and the actions are often not motivated by an assessment of, of the country's security needs, but 
uh, some driven by ideological, political, or other motives, and that really has to be contained. So the leadership has to come from the prime minister to make sure this doesn't uh, become an explosive and divis- more divisive issue in Israeli society. But, but often the prime minister likes to avoid this topic because it's not it's not a good political topic for him. Doesn't always, you know, doesn't always make public statements about it. Doesn't always express an opinion about it. Well, I don't think yes. I don't care if he expresses an opinion. I hope he does the right things that will help uh, put this, uh, um, you know, somehow back in in some sort of a uh, responsible approach that uh, doesn't allow uh, this to become divisive. Look, he could lose his his, cat, his government over it. It's, Correct. It's you know these guys, people are making very clear their their uh, intent on this. So. It's in his interest to try and and calm things down. Uh, can we go back to the recertification issue for a second? Uh, help help explain this to me. Um, recertification means essentially that Washington has the ability to continue what seems to be on a monthly basis. Am I right? It's every month. The recertifying of what what we know as the Iran deal is that no four times a year. Four times a year. Does that essentially sum it up that it's the the Iran deal going for a further review every three months and. And it gets recertified, meaning that the, the, what we know as the Iran, de- Iran deal and its particulars stays in place at that point. I'm not sure it's automatic this time. I don't mean automatic. I, I'm saying I, I'm saying, but that, but that's what the procedure is. Meaning, if the president decides to recertify, right. then essentially the the Iran deal as it has been proceeding will continue that way. Is that is that essentially? Not, no, not necessarily, because you can still put added sanctions, or you can even decertify, and it still it doesn't mean that you withdraw from the agreement. The Iranians will obviously look for this as an opportunity to to exploit for their purposes, i.e. saying that they can go then and, and uh, do uh, a lot of things that they wanted to do uh, in terms of enrichment, etc. So the president... They're doing it anyway. They're, they're cheating on the agreement. There's no doubt about it. But the, the, but, but the president seems to be between a rock and a hard place here. This is, this is the let's get rid of the Iran deal president. You would think that he would use the opportunity, you know, every quarter to decertify, because why wouldn't he? But I assume there's some political reason or, or some other reason that he feels that Washington can't do that at this point. I, I explained to you why, because there's the unknown of what the consequences will be. Some people say Iran has no choice. Right, that, that Iran, right. uh, you know, is, it warns us now that they have the breakout capacity and are likely to be cheating and tell us even that right. every water reactor at Iraq will be is, is under reconstruction when it was supposed to be destroyed. So, and and on the other hand, you know, the United States acting alone, we have to see what will the other parties do, what will the Europeans, although what the United States does is the most significant. And and, and at the same time, it doesn't obviate the possibility of additional sanctions, which are being added regularly. And I think that, that those really carry the weight. And, and putting more on the oil sanction sector and on the banking sector sounding more warnings as we see Iran move more and more aggressively right. in South America that we just talked about, right. let alone throughout the Middle East right. and so the world. My point being then that the, the prior administration, when this Iran deal was certified, you know, was implemented, uh, it, 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 we, we, didn't, we who were hoping that this would be rejected and, you know, taken apart by the new president did not realize how unlikely that would be. Because of the what you just described in terms of what Iran can do 
uh, use it as an excuse, cheat, etc., etc. Well, people said it right away. Everybody said that that's why this is the worst deal possible, and because it, it does not really guarantee. And and we know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know of what Iran is doing and their record of of violating agreements and understandings. Certainly, give added reason for for concern, and the the implications are are clear too. We, for instance, the relationship between Iran and North Korea. Whether these programs are synergistic and whether they, you know, the degree to which they're intertwined uh, is a matter of concern. And, and there have been a lot of reports about it uh, over the last couple of weeks. Today, North Korea fired a missile that flew over Japan's north, far into the Pacific Ocean, uh, according to South Korean and Japanese officials, deepening tension after the recent test of its most powerful nuclear bomb. This seems to be a weekly event, at least, right, if not more often. It's becoming more. They, it actually was supposed to be launched last week because of the anniversary in North Korea, but because the capital was in the, or the country had a very heavy fog, they had to postpone it to this week. Um, what happens this week with the PA with with the UN week? Uh, what uh, is there going? Because every year, I shouldn't say every, but I think every certainly in recent memory. Uh, there's been some type of effort to advance the Palestinian cause in the United Nations. Are they quiet now? Is this going to be a big effort? What's happening this week there? So the, it seems that the PA withdrew its application to get recognized by the World Tourism Organization, the United Nations body. Uh, this is supposedly because of an understanding with Jared Kushner and uh, that, the, uh, that they would not take unilateral steps. Um, but we can be sure that Mr. Abbas is coming and going to be making uh, his usual remarks, rejectionist remarks, uh, for, at some point uh, after the prime minister. I don't know when his, he is scheduled to actually to speak. Uh, the, this, the UN, though, is the battleground where uh, the, the Palestinians seek recognition, everything from the International Criminal Court, to FIFA, other international bodies, but uh, the UN as well, and the... The, and, and to use it as a way to bypass uh, the negotiations by trying to create the Fed complete uh, simply by diktats and getting the automatic majority that it can. But I think that there's a growing uh, resentment and rejection of that and a demand that they negotiate and, and go to the table. So uh, Nikki Haley, ambassador to the United States uh, of the United States to the UN, has been very forceful. Uh, in this regard, and has uh, led efforts both regarding Iran, regarding many other things, but also to stop the the bias at the UN and the uh, uh, Palestinian uh, uh, infrastructure, where so much money is being poured into propaganda machines that solely work against Israel to promote the Palestinian uh, cause. It's the only one that has uh, whole institutions of their own inside the, the United Nations um, bureaucracy. They don't give up, I guess. Uh, but this, it, having Nikki Haley there is, is is quite amazing compared to some of the predecessors, that's for sure. And we saw it in regard to the UNIFIL troops, the United Nations troops that are on the Lebanon border. And uh, for those who have visited the border know that you can go up there, you see their camp from yep. the heights, yep. and the and you see nothing moves there. They're sitting inside, the trucks are there, everything. And now the demand is that they do more patrol, they take a greater effort to stop Hezbollah infiltrations and movements, and uh, hopefully that, that will be translated into real action, uh, though the record of uh, some of these U.N. troops is, is at best mixed. 
Tell us about all these arrests in Saudi Arabia. The new crown prince is uh, is trying to implement what? I don't know what all the arrests are. Well, uh, according to the New York Times, over the last week, 16 people were held, relatives, associates, etc., including prominent Islamic clerics, academics, a poet, an economist, a journalist. I mean, is there, is, is there less less freedom of speech there now? Is the new crown prince trying to uh, you know simply uh, show that he's in power? What's going on there? I think it's uh, um, one sees this across uh, the Middle East, and uh, the the um, concern about the growth of of elements, Islamist elements, others uh, gets heightened. Uh, and certainly, when you have new governments and you have uh, the tenuous hold of the uh, the king and the crown, the new crown prince, and who could at some point be made the king. So I think that it's internal considerations as well as some security considerations. But many of these uh, countries um, that are the closest to the West are, are clamping down on what they see as these uh, uh, extremists or, or uh, views that they that they reject. Uh, so I don't think it represents something that's uh, really new or a big change. Sarah Netanyahu, how serious are these charges now that there's been a formal uh, indictment? Look, I think I don't think she's going to go to jail. I think uh, they will acknowledge that uh, there were mistakes made. They can pay a fine. They can do other things and um, uh, move on. It's, it's, uh, is the Israeli you know, is the Israeli media happy now that it's gotten to this point? <laughs> well, they they certainly would seem to be. I mean, they campaign very hard again and. organizations, synagogues, schools around the country as the brand new year starts on Wednesday night, and we hope for the safety and security for all Jewish institutions here and everywhere. Have we heard from them about the security situation? Yeah, I mean, I would assume that it, as usual, yeah. I would hope that There's security... more and more awareness, and uh, you know, the government again grant made the series, uh, made available grant money to institutions, um, but uh, I think that this year there is more uh, awareness and a, and a heightened sense of uh, the importance of taking the necessary steps to, to protect, especially when it's a high-profile period like the Yom Noraim uh, and Sukkot, where, which is very visible. Uh, so I think that there's a far greater awareness uh, this year. Um, what is your Rosh Hashanah message as we close out the year 5777? We always hope... 
that there is great hope for the Jewish world and wonderful hope for the future as we embark on a brand new year. How do you assess things as we start the brand new year this coming Wednesday night? Well, I think we can look back and see uh, a lot of challenges, a lot of uh, negatives, but also many positives. We we talked about some regarding Israel, but also regarding community of the continued growth of the challenges that uh, our community continues to face. And, you know, we're told about the nature of our tefillot, um, about the prayers that we uh, see in our debates amongst the uh, the Golnim about the nature of some of the of the phrases that we add to the Shimon Esri. But what is clear is that it's not proper to make requests, even for life, in the middle of the first three or the last three brachos, that... Um, that, but they make a distinction between individual requests, which can't be said, and public requests, meaning that when we look beyond ourselves and we think about the total community of all of those who are in need and seeing the natural disasters this year, Houston, Miami, uh, and many other things, it reminds us about the frailty of life and about our interdependence and you saw it firsthand going to, to Houston was an, an example of it, that um, we'd we be reminded that it can't be just about us, that they got to think about the much broader community, the needs, the, the needs of others in our community that we should be sensitized to, that we often take for granted or walk past or, you know, think someone else will take care of it. And the other thing is, is uh, that, this year we saw the continued attack on Jewish history, on Jewish heritage, on the Jewish people at the United Nations, especially in UNESCO, uh, with the support of the of, uh, majority of the members of UNESCO denying the Kotel and all of the other places that are significant to us. And yet, at the same time, through uh, the grace of God, the archaeologists have discovered one thing after another, literally dozens and dozens just this year, of the most amazing uh, discoveries. And one, for instance, in the city of David, where they found uh, Bulai, as the seals, with, uh, with biblical names on them. And these were found on the side of the... Uh, of the Ir David, the city of David uh, excavations, the the names and the uh, in ancient Hebrew, and there it's evidence that uh, also that when the the tribes of Israel from the kingdom of Israel were were exiled, they went back to Yerushalayim and were absorbed there. The kingdom of Yerushalayim was the northern kingdom. And they became senior administrators and senior busy people, even though they were immigrants and coming from the other half. They were the the signs here show how they rose in, in significance. That we found the gates where Goliath fought King David, where from Goth, from this. So many of the things that have come to life in in just a short period of time, and and in these excavations, and I can give you dozens of examples of the things that they found from food storage to, to depictions in, in uh, mosaics, all of which have profound significance. Uh, and the, the seals, for one, just uh, were on display. So I saw in Yerushalayim the part of them. Um, and, they, and they shed life on what life was like, but most of all the continuity. 
and the reminder to us of the need for us never to forget this, that our feelings have to be not just about ourselves and our personal needs, but remembering the needs of others and of Klag Yisrael. We have real challenges, but also real opportunities. I hope the rabbinic leaders out there who address their congregations to heed your advice and touch on some of these topics over the whole You want to encourage people, you want to show our young people, show them these things, talk about them. They're so amazing. It's so remarkable. I talk about them on air. People, uh, non-Jews respond so incredibly to it when, because they see it's the Bible comes to life. We see the, the, it's irrefutable, undeniable. So it's imperative that people look at these things. And, and I wanted to say one other thing. There was a very disturbing report that, uh, from Sweden, uh, from the, the second largest city in Gothenburg, where the courts gave permission for neo-Nazis to march 500 feet from the synagogue on Yom Kippur. And the community obviously is concerned about their own security and about the associations because during the Shoah, the Germans would often conduct some of their most their worst actions on important days of the Jewish calendar. And this is a, called the Nordic Resistance Movement. Uh, and the religious community said, we understand they have a right to march, but we're right next to the shul, and uh, it's less than 500 feet away where they are going to be gathering. And one can't imagine that they would do this if any other religious group was involved. That's right. So, uh, to me, this is just a horrific reminder. Wishing you a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. I would assume we'll reconvene two weeks from today on Erev Yom HaKippurim. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Um, Be well. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. What he just reported at the end about Sweden was uh, bone-chilling, frankly.